Hey ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Watch With Me Wounded Warrior Project Theater and the Arcade Nostalgia Memories Podcast. My name is Scotty, I am your host, I'm also known as EDC. To my right is the beautiful Legion Cage, also known as Rob. Uh, today he is sporting a, uh, a black and orange head with a little bit of green. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you definitely need to check out the live broadcast. Uh, it, the hats are absolutely fantastic. And to his right, the uh, guest of the hour, the man of the hour, the one and only Tuba Swan, not to be confused with Tuna Swan or... What was the other thing you call? I can't remember all these weird names you come Tumba. up with. Tumba, Tumba. That sounds like an Arnold Schwarzenegger shtick. Like yeah, we got a Tumba Swan here. Get to the chopper. Anyway, uh, yeah. So, so before I go any further, uh, I have to do this because we have sponsors now on the EBC channel. Our, our first one for. Uh, January and and a little bit uh, before and beyond that uh, is Watch Whitney and uh, she uh, has sponsored the EBC channel for a month by going to our brand new Patreon and subscribing at the $10 level. Uh, Watch Whitney would like to direct your attention to the Wounded Warrior Project. If you are so inclined, please check that out and uh, maybe make a small donation. She would very much appreciate that. If you would like to become a sponsor of the EBC uh, channel here, just uh, head to our website that's uh, www.ebc.2021.com uh, and there we go. No, there I'm dyslexic. There we go. Uh, and all the information is right there on our Patreon. How you can support us, and uh, like I said, that's one of the ways you could do that is uh, at the ten dollar level, you become a sponsor of the channel for at least a month. Um, this is actually the last time, uh, at least on the Arcade Podcast, that I will be introducing uh, her uh, as our sponsor for this month because we will be having a new one starting next month. Um, and unfortunately, this is the only episode of Arcade that will have Watch Whitney as a sponsor because of the long break that we took over uh, Christmas and into New Year's and then uh, people in our studio had COVID, as I described in our little special there two weeks ago. And, uh, you know, we were taking uh, safety precautions and all that. So uh, it is good to be back uh, with our next episode, episode six, uh, featuring Tuba Swan. And he will be presenting Banjo-Kazooie. So let's head on right over to that. And, uh, yeah, Banjo-Kazooie N64. Uh, glad you could join us for this, Tuba. I really appreciate you. Uh, just a little bit of uh, porting information on that. Uh, we had the original with N64 and 98, and then uh, alternate versions. It's not exactly the same version, um, but alternate versions that came out in 2008 for Xbox 360, 2015 for Xbox One, uh, 2021 for the Xbox Cloud Gaming platform, and just now in 2022 for Switch. Um, so if you have not done so, you can check it out on those platforms. But again, the original on N64 in uh, 1998. So, uh, Cage, why don't you give us a little bit of uh, info on the history surrounding Banjo-Kazooie? Alrighty. So, let me take you back. It is Monday, June 29th, 1998. That is 23 years, 7 months, and 1 day ago. 
so uh, bad boy Billy Clinton was still in the Oval Office in the United States. Tony Blair was still the UK Prime Minister. Top five songs in the USA. Brandy and Monica's The Boy Is Mine. Shania Twain's You're Still the One. Next Too Close, Mariah Carey's My All, and Usher's My Way. I only know one of those. I was really alive during that time. Uh, some famous birthdays that were happening that day. Comedian and writer Colin Jost from Saturday Night Live fame turned 16. Singer Nicole Scherzinger, I think I sp- pronounced that right, Scherzinger. Nobody, uh, no, turned... nobody knows how to pronounce her name properly, so don't feel bad. That's fair. The, the, the girl who remained famous after the Pussycat Dolls broke up. She had turned 20. And actor Gary Busey had turned 54. But most importantly, Banjo-Kazooie launched on the Nintendo 64. Banjo was critically acclaimed with many ratings, getting a 9.5 from GameSpot, 9.6 from IGN, 9.2 from Nintendo Power, 5 stars from GamePro, and various other ratings, earning it a 92 out of 100 on Metacritic. Uh, the game garnered uh, rave reviews from some editors, uh, calling it, quote, the best 3D action-adventure game they had ever played, and, quote, were a worthy successor to Super Mario 64. The game had sold over 117,000 units worldwide by the end of 1998, and as of 2007, over 1.8 million copies had been sold in the U.S. alone. Uh, as Scotty already mentioned, the game was kind of already uh, ported to various platforms. But not only that, it was the first in uh, the game series of five different games, being followed by Banjo-Tooie, Grunty's Revenge, Banjo-Pilot, and Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. Uh, Banjo has also made cameo appearances in such games, such as Sega All-Stars Racing and Super Smash Brothers. Uh, the game was actually originally made by a team of 15 people uh, that originally worked on Donkey Kong Country 2 for the Super Nintendo. Uh, and some of the t- original team members actually went on to form their own studio and released a spiritual successor a few years ago called Yuka Lele. Very much in that same vein of Banjo-Kazooie. So that's a little bit about Banjo-Kazooie. All right. So... Um... Yeah, the uh, the Banjo Kazooie. Uh, we we've been looking at more recently uh, with our guests quite a few of the N sixty four games. We had uh, Normcore Gaming with uh, Star Fox sixty four. Then we had uh, Rageful Riot OG uh, with uh, Ocarina of Time, and uh, now Tuba with Banjo Kazooie. And and what I think you're you're gonna find, uh, and of course, as we we continue on with this series, uh, you know, we're we're gonna have a broad spectrum of of different ages of people and uh, and and the types of games that they play. And eventually, I think we even have a couple of guests coming up uh, once everything is confirmed that uh, do tabletop and dice games. Uh, so. The it's going to cover a wide range of topics, but um, in, in talking to like the people in our community and uh, other people that I know that I was you know going to try to bring on here as a guest, uh, there's a lot of people right in that same age range, which is the uh, 25 to 35 range, which those are the people that typically grew up with the N64 platform and, uh, you know, maybe the, the first um, iterations of 
uh, PlayStation and Xbox. So, you know, we're, we're probably going to see quite a few more as the series develops here. Um, but, you know, I, I find it interesting that that seems to make up a, a, a quite a bit of a large contingent of the gamers that stream on Twitch and the ones that, you know, we've come in contact with just in our community and a little bit beyond um, seem to pretty much fall in that age range. And these are the games they grew up with. So uh, we will, like I said, be going beyond that just a little bit and, and you know, looking at a wider range of games and and uh and ages to them not only uh from the older stuff the the stuff that came out in the uh early 80s and on up uh but stuff that is newer than this too uh we will definitely have some guests guests coming up here that um they they're the the game that they want to present is much newer than that and we already have done some of that with like uh borderlands 2 and halo 3 in previous episodes so uh, we're going to take a short commercial break, and we're going to come back for the first part of the playthrough of Banjo-Kazooie. We have a, a good recording here of uh, Tuba playing through it, and uh, we'll jump right into that as soon as we return. Stay tuned. Okay, welcome back. So uh, we're going to start the playthrough now that Tuba has graciously provided us, and... Uh, Tuba, why don't you start by uh, telling us like some of the backstory of Banjo Kazooie, and and where that story ends up going into the, you know, as you're playing through the game. Uh, well, story wise, it actually I'm just gonna bring up a little fun little fact. Initially, Banjo Kazooie wasn't supposed to be Banjo Kazooie. It was actually originally called Dream. Um. But it never ended up being developed, and uh, Banjo was actually a side character developed for that game, and they fell in love with it and built their own game. And then once they uh, uh, got into it, they made Banjo-Kazooie, where uh, the story is, uh, Grunty is just uh, a witch who believes um, herself to be the most beautiful in the world, loves to um, make uh, speak in uh, rhymes about absolutely anything that's going on. Uh, and uh, she finds out through her cauldron that uh, uh, Tootie, Banjo's um, sister, who actually plays the flute, which is why her name's Tootie, um, is actually deemed the prettier one. So she kidnaps um, Tootie, and then Banjo is basically going to try and save her through the help of uh, special moves that are um, given by uh, uh, Bottles, Bottles the Mole. Okay, so uh, it, so sorry, go ahead. so one of the first things I noticed about um, this that seems to be far different than some of the other forms of gameplay is that it looks like right off the bat you have this function where it's a banjo is the bear and Kazooie's the bird, right? And and you've Correct. got that ability to go through and like anytime you do a jump and then you've got a glide function that you can readily access right from the beginning. Well, that, there's actually two options. There's uh, You can go through uh, and learn all the moves through uh, basically like a mini tutorial through the game, or you can tell Bottles that uh, you, you already know what you're doing and you're just ready to go. So you can unlock the very basic moves from right from the get-go, uh, something I wish would be in uh, more modern games. Right. <laughs> Uh, so that, that glide function is um, 
is actually the main reason why Kazooie exists in this game. Uh, they wanted Banjo to have the ability to go over uh, larger gaps. So giving a bird in his backpack gives him the basically a second jump to make it over the larger gaps. Yeah. But like I've seen some of the uh, similar function uh, like uh, with the chicken in Ocarina of Time. You know, you grab the chicken and you're and then you're able to glide. But it seemed it seemed like you know this was much more an integral part of the storyline that that Kazooie is always with Banjo. Yeah, uh, it, it's uh, nice to have uh, Kazooie with uh, with Banjo, and he definitely gives all these different move sets. Um, right off the bat, you get a whole bunch of moves that use Kazooie's um, the beak just to kind of pound through everything. Uh, yeah, this beginning portion takes a, a little bit of time, but uh, getting all the... You go around right off the bat to gain your first set of extra health with all the honeycombs. Gotcha. Uh, I love all the, the different types of collectibles in this game and how they all have different functions. Can you go through some of those? Uh, so the uh, basic ones in the game, you have your health honeycombs, which you get from defeating any enemies. Uh, the empty honeycombs... Uh, by collecting six of them, uh, you create another honeycomb placement for your health. Okay. Uh, the other ones that you can find later on, you can find trophies that look like Banjo, um, which are your free lives. And then you also have um, uh, other ones that would be you find more inside. Uh, like the, the Jinjos, are, they're kind of a collectible, but each area has their own set of Jinjos. Okay. And then you have your music notes. Okay. Now the music notes, I like. I, I know later in the gameplay we're gonna see that it seemed like there was a lot more of those that you were collecting throughout the entire world. And what was so the... each world? Sorry, well, well, that's all right. Yeah, as I stated in uh, previous episodes here, we have a little bit of a delay with um, with uh, Discord. So so sometimes we talk each o over each other, but it's you know, that's that's all right. I'll just take it out of your pay tuba. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah what i was gonna ask is um so so like the music notes that seems to be like a larger and the puzzle pieces that seems to be like a little bit of a larger quest that that takes you further out over the game uh so yeah the jiggies are one of the main things you need to collect uh each jiggy has its own special power to unlock the worlds um, so you have to collect certain amounts, and if you have enough, you can use them in the paintings, kind of like uh, in the video there, uh, where you can open up the worlds. And the music notes basically open up, uh, uh, called they're called musical doors. Uh, each world has up to 100. Anytime you enter the world, you can restart all the collection of them. Okay. So that that's almost kind of like the, the 100 stars, or uh, 100 coins in uh, Super Mario that's 64. I would relate it more to the, the 100 coins, uh, but uh, instead of it giving you a free life, uh, it gives you uh, basically just, uh, it, they call it magical power, but it's basically music power. Uh, there's many different ways to kind of look at it, but your total note score from each one, uh, the tally of that is what determines whether you can uh, open up doors or not. Okay, and you, uh, I also forgot. you can always go back into a world that you've already completed to try to get, like, more of those, or? No, uh, so it's always, the, it just uh, replaces your total note score. Gotcha. So if you 
uh, hit 50, and then you go through that portal that uh, I entered the world through. Um, 50 is just what that, uh, that total note score for that world is. The next time you can go in, if you hit 51, it replaces your top note score. Gotcha. Uh, then there's that other collectible that was uh, that uh, it came across at the beginning of the world. It's called the Mumbo Tokens. Uh, those are used to activate um, Mumbo Jumbo's powers. Uh, he, has to, he uses them in order to transform Banjo-Kazooie into alternate forms. Hmm. And what are some of the alternate forms? Uh, in this one, you get turned into a termite. Um, and then in the uh, next few world, not every world has the transformations, but you can also transform into a pumpkin, a snowball, and a crocodile. Those are the more common ones. And then in the uh, last world, you can, you can turn into a bee. Okay. And then transform uh, transformations allow you access to alternate sections of that particular world that you're in. Gotcha. And then uh, a lot of the other worlds also have um, temporary uh, items. Like in this one, you're able to collect an orange to give to give to the monkey Chimpy. Uh, it's the only way to open up this uh, um, upper area in order to get another one of uh, Bottles' moves. Gotcha. And that seems kind of similar to like some of the side quests and things that you had to do in like Ocarina of Time or. Uh... Even even some of the more modern games where you're you're like collecting a certain item to go take to a specific person so that you can gain a power or you know some other kind of advancement there. Uh, it's very similar. Uh, the fetch quest in like uh, in the Zelda games usually goes through uh, a variety of different people, whereas in uh, Banjo Kazooie it's usually only one event. Uh, it's also very interesting uh, when you're getting into the worlds, the different characters that are created for each one. Uh, some are enemies, obviously, and some aren't. <laughs> right. Um, so there is, I forget how many moves exactly there are in this game, but uh, you, um, you're only able to access certain areas in each uh, area uh, once you get the moves. Uh, but uh, luckily, uh, if you progress into the uh, proper order you won't miss any of the moves going uh, getting in into it now um, can you talk to us uh, now we we talked uh, with rageful riot last episode about the n64 controller um, so so first thing when you started playing this um, the was it the one of the first games or the first game that you played on N64? And, you know, uh, like, how did you deal with that controller at the time? Uh, well, the, um, when we first got it, I think it was 1999, uh, first game, of course, we played was Super Mario 64. Mm -hmm. uh, also greatly enjoyed this, that one. And then this one was one we kind of just, we rented from Blockbuster on a whim. Uh, we rented about five different games over the course of uh, two months just to see which ones we liked. And then this one really spoke to um, both me, my brother, and my mom. And so we uh, got it, and we started playing with it. Uh, the controller from uh, us at the time wasn't too difficult to get used to. Um, I always thought it was weird, though, when I was a kid, because you'd have that uh, whole side of the controller here that was basically useless. <laughs> 
Yeah, Cage, did we... Do you know of, like, any specific games or how many games maybe in the N64 catalog actually use the D-pad? Um, I don't know specifically. I do know, um, so, as most people know, I'm a very big uh, wrestling fan. The WCW and WWF games of the time, they did use the D-pad. Um, but honestly, like, trying to look back on it, I don't remember any other games that used the D-pad beyond those. And in that game, um, like, it used the D-pad as opposed to the joystick or in tandem with it or what? Um, so the, the ones I remember playing most were the uh, THQ games. Um, that was uh, WCW World Tour and Revenge and then WWF WrestleMania 2000 and No Mercy. And you use the D-pad to move your character around. The control stick would taunt, like uh, taunt with using your character, taunt the other wrestler, or activate your finisher when you had it available to you. Oh, okay. So you so, did use both, like, really? In, in tandem, yeah. Just not like, uh, like in an always type of thing. Right. Yeah, as, I mean, as far as I can remember, we never played any games on the N64 that required the D-pad, so it's it's kind of like, you know, either they, they didn't really fulfill the potential with it that they wanted to, or they were maybe preparing for things that never came about, or who knows. But, uh... uh I know that the LEGO racing game also utilized it. Uh, the joystick was essentially useless. But you needed also needed the L button. <laughs> but who knows what uh, Nintendo people think? Because they often come up with weird, crazy shit all the time, you know. <laughs> yeah, but uh, with the N sixty four, so like okay, so the N sixty four had that, you know, essentially just it, it was called a weird controller, but it gave us, you know. It's not the first home console with an analog stick, right. uh, but it, the first like main home console, I would say, with an analog stick that ended up evolving, you know, to us getting dual analog sticks on the PlayStation uh, One and and going from there and effectively changing video games and, and controls forever. So you, like you could call it a, a weird looking controller, but. Nintendo, again, you know, like, they were changing the game. Yes, yes, I will agree with that. Um, and, and they were, they had quite a few firsts in the field over time. Um, I, I guess I'm just approaching it from an angle of, like, if, you, if you're going to try to do something like what they did, or what they seem to have wanted to do, which was to have that option available for that sort of thing like you know you had different games the the wrestling games and whatever else and the majority of them in 3d worlds are going to be using the analog stick but then you've got these things over here that you know it makes more sense to have the d-pad and and it just seems like they didn't necessarily put as much effort into trying to utilize everything that was there you know yeah that's, that's fair i'd say that's fair at least from my limited uh, perspective. They also did kind of really open the door for 3D games, too. That wasn't really something that was uh, uh, explored very much when it comes to home consoles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I know a lot of people had uh, camera control issues, for example, with the uh, Super Mario 64, but oh, it kind of yeah. did open up the door mm -hmm. for uh, for this. Uh, in this game here, the the camera controls are a lot more um, refined uh, when when you compare it to the uh, Super Mario 64 version. Yeah, it does seem quite a bit easier to navigate with that. Like, it almost always has a, a good solid view of directly behind you instead of, like, in uh, Mario 64, you had to spend, you know, time with those uh, C buttons to the yellow buttons to try to get the right angle on a lot of things just to be able to jump in the proper direction or, you know... <laughs> Yeah, it's very true. And it was very interesting that uh, the C buttons were used uh, in this one for both the camera and for alternative moves when it comes to controlling Banjo-Kazooie. Okay. Uh, when you, as soon as you hold the Z button on the bottom, it changed yep. what the uh, C buttons did on the controller. Gotcha. That's the, uh, that's the trigger button, right? Yeah, so yeah, the... So yeah, yeah, you have the C buttons here, right? Your A, A and your B, and then that was would be the Z button, right? Uh, because of the Z button down here, that's why whenever you see uh, modern controllers, uh, rather than calling it the trigger button, it says uh, ZL on the bottom. I don't know if you guys ever see that, but uh, it does say uh, ZL rather than RT, like the trigger. Okay, so you'd have uh, an L and an R, and then a ZL and a ZR, potentially. Yes. Okay. I did not know that actually. I always kind of, I always kind of wondered why Nintendo didn't, you know, because Nintendo was later to the game when it came to uh, putting those like triggers on their controllers, and everyone else was just calling them right trigger, left trigger, you know, or I, I guess Sony was technically calling them L two R two, but what? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and the reason, the other reason, there's two reasons they went for uh, the Z. That's because in the uh, SNS SNES controllers, they had the X and the Y, and then because it was on the bottom, uh, that's where uh, it was kind of like the last place you'd find a button. Right. So that's why they went with Z. Right. Or I guess D for you guys. <laughs> that's why I was say, like as an American, I'm, I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little freaked out, like because you keep calling them Z. It's just. It, 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 it's just kind of weird, you know, not bad, but it's just kind of weird. Yeah, I just call it the trigger button. I, I didn't know that it, like, had a proper name or anything like that, you know. But, uh, yeah, Tuba joins us from the uh, tropical zone of uh, Canada. Yeah, which, uh, Canada. Which, which province are you in? Uh, I'm in Alberta. Alberta. Uh, around the central portion of it where where it's uh it's so cold that you can you can uh, see your nipples like three feet in front of you right <laughs> yeah Scotty, you much. just you just described outside for us too so i mean it's not it's <laughs> yeah not any different. yeah it's it's pretty damn cold in ohio too so yeah <clears throat> it's actually quite warm, uh, warmer here right now it's actually uh, like nine degrees celsius what what is that in american uh we've Pull up the... <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Four, Forty-eight degrees Fahrenheit. Wow, wow it is much warmer pra there than pra it is here. Practically having a heat wave here, man. It, according to my computer, it is. Hey, calm down over there. Uh, according to my computer, it's twenty-two degrees uh, Fahrenheit here. 
or 22 degrees American, as Scotty said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, I mean, America and all that, you know, I, I'll tell you one thing as far as like, and, and I, yeah, we're getting kind of off topic here with the, uh, the game, but uh, as far as like um, the uh, metric system goes, like to me, centimeters millimeters you know liters all of that on the base 10 system makes so much sense why the hell we have inches and pounds and all this other imperial crap that the you know is very complicated is beyond me uh the temperature wise though like i don't know if i could ever easily convert to celsius simply because and even though i know it's not not that big of a deal um, but yeah, that Fahrenheit is, uh, has always been like, you know, relatively home for me. And I think that would be kind of like a difficult transition, but I, I've always wondered after, after learning in school, how simplistic and, and beautiful the metric system is, why the hell we use what we use here in America. Mm -hmm. <sighs> from, from what I've heard, it basically boils down to stubbornness. <laughs> Probably. I mean, that is. That sounds a, like more, Yeah, but... that's a defining characteristic of everybody here. It, you know, you gonna change for the better? Nah, we don't need that shit. You know. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, getting getting back into the game. This is kind of the first music door that I was telling you guys about. Um, in order to proceed to the next area, you have to have a minimum of fifty music notes total. Gotcha gonna say and i saw like you were running around in the in the transformed state as a termite yes uh so um with the mumbo mumbo jumbo's powers uh you have the ability to go um outside of the world but you can't go too far because his power is limited to his skulls for that particular area hmm. does he turn like transform back if he gets too far away Yes. So uh, one thing that a lot of speedrunners do will probably uh, is to transform, get the uh, extra jiggy that's outside of the world, and then try to just uh, leave rather than going back to Mumbo because it takes that extra time to transform. Gotcha. So, okay, so you just mentioned that that's a tactic that speedrunners use, and you yourself did do the same thing are are you telling us that you're a, a hidden <laughs> speedrunner of banjo kazooie uh i've thought about it but it's not something i've ever personally done um i i kind of do a lot of the tricks here like at the beginning of the uh the this uh the treasure trove cove you'll see how i dive immediately under the water that is a speed run trick but i've never actually done a run myself okay because you you've uh and forgive me, I, I know that you have done a speedrun. Uh, it was Mario 64, wasn't it? Yes, uh, that uh, that was my first ever attempt at doing any type of speedrun. Um, had had a lot of fun doing it, but I definitely need to develop my skills before I actually submit anything. <laughs> Would you consider, like, so you've, you've done it for Mario 64. Would you consider doing Banjo-Kazooie instead of Mario 64? Or, like, in conjunction with, or... Yeah, I would I would really enjoy that. Uh, I greatly enjoy both of those games, um, uh, and it has something that it, it has always interested me. <laughs> well, if it, um, as I've been doing a little bit more 
in the last month and a half to two months with um, speed runs and looking at, you know, like stats and things like that, <clears throat> um, it occurred to me that, you know, all you really have to do is do what you're supposed to do according to the run and go ahead and post a time because that's a starting point. Uh, like, like we've, we've had another member of our community who, uh, you know, went ahead and, and did a speed run and he ended up, you know, in last place on the leaderboard that they have on speedrun.com. And, you know, that, that's all well and good, but that's just a starting point. That's, that's then where you go then to, you know, try to, you know, do a personal best after that once you've you know, gone ahead and, and gotten that posted and accepted and it's on the board and you say, okay, now, now we're going to try to improve that. Um, and, and like, for instance, um, me with, um, I, I, I never even touched until maybe a month and a half or two months ago, uh, Castlevania two. Um, now I'm, I'm getting prepared to do my first time trial with that you know have a timer on the screen and say okay how fast can i do this and and potentially just you know if it's within in the realm of of doing what i'm supposed to be doing going ahead and getting that posted i'm probably going to be in last place and i think the the <laughs> longest time that they have right now in castlevania 2 is an hour 20 uh but in in just the the general things that i've been doing playing the game and trying to hone you know, learning exactly where I need to go to actually beat it and, and beat it efficiently, or, you know, efficiently for me, um, that I'm right around that time, uh, an hour 15, an hour 20. So uh, all I have to do is make sure I have everything set up with my timer on the screen, and, and I'd probably, you know, go ahead and stream that and uh, do my run for that and submit it to the website and, and there I am. I'm Like I said, I'm going to be, you know, in last place or very near the bottom, but that'll be my then my posted time and, and then from there I would move on and see if I could do better. And this is the first time I myself am looking at potentially doing a speed run with something that I've learned well enough to be able to do that. And I, I think, too, but I've, I've watched you, you know, play this and Mario 64 and a couple other games like this well enough that you could you could do the same thing just get to a point maybe with a little bit more practice that you're efficiently beating the game every time and then you know just going ahead and and setting up your timer and having it ready to go and see how you do you know fair enough yeah, no, when I did the, the Super Mario 64 one, um, I did uh, look at my time from the, the Twitch stream, and I actually wasn't in last place, but uh, I never did su submit my uh, my video or anything. Right, you had a timer on the screen and everything for that? Uh, I did. Okay. Well, hey, man, just got to take the initiative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, Scotty, so <clears throat> you, you had mentioned... You had mentioned doing Castlevania, um, you know, by the power of Google. Uh, I am on speedrun.com currently, and all you got to do, any percentage, two hours, 51 minutes, nine seconds, is currently the lowest spot on the leaderboard. Yeah, I think I was looking at any percent glitchless uh, for the simple fact that I did not want to try to exploit any 
glitches. Okay. Uh, but yeah, you're you're absolutely right there. So I mean, any time I could post, and it it would work for that category as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it really doesn't it doesn't take a lot. I, at least from what I'm seeing on speedrun, is that as long as you follow the rules, it doesn't matter what time it is, they will put you in on the list. So then, obviously, you know, you want to go ahead and, um, you know, try to beat, you know, beat and rebeat your personal best so that you can, you know, get a better time over over the uh, the time that you spend playing the game and improving. Um, but like, uh, you know, it really doesn't, at least as far as I'm concerned, I'm looking at that and I'm like, okay, so I just, you know, post my time and then go from there. It's a good starting point to me as to how you would want to, you know, do speedruns and then continue from that point. Especially me, who, like I say, I, I'm not a gamer and I've never even considered that sort of thing until now. And, and maybe with, you know, a limited number of games... Uh, uh, especially with now this game, Castlevania 2, that I didn't even play until maybe three months ago. And it was that time that I took watching Doom and Saf and Meggles play that. Uh, welcome, Meggles, by the way. And um, yeah, going going through that and seeing how each of them, you know, uh, attacked the game in their own way and, and got through it efficiently and, and then posted, you know, pretty decent times. And... Um, I think Sath is number four on Castlevania 2, at least on any percent, if I recall correctly. Yeah, he has a bunch of different uh, he has a bunch of different records uh, in various places depending on the thing. Um, not to take anything away from Tuba right now, but uh, well, you, Tuba, you mentioned Vegas here. Uh, well, Vigos, Tuba is yeah. going to have a uh, world record here pretty soon in Banjo Kazooie, so then we can talk about that one. <laughs> well, and I do have a, I do have a question about your again. We're kind of off of banjo. I have a question about your Mario sixty four run. But congrats, Magels, on your completing your whipless run of uh, Castlevania two recently. Yeah, so, congratulations. Nice. Uh, Tuba. So your your speed run of Mario sixty four. Do you remember your time? And was it a seventy star completion or was it one hundred and twenty? Uh, I went for the 70 star because uh, it was starting to. I had some stuff I had to run off to that day. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember the exact time. I think it was uh, eight hours and something. Okay. I think the plot well, is still up, but I, I'll, I'll look at that up later. <laughs> okay. Um, based on what I see on speedrun.com, they probably would have accepted your time anyways. You would have been at 898th. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but, like Scotty said, it's it, it is a starting point. If that were so to interest you, yeah, I mean it, that that to me uh, also doesn't really matter. Like um, uh, I I had mentioned before, Angledoom he he has uh, the the number three spot in um, Friday the Thirteenth for NES out of three, you know. But hey. Uh, he, he's going to be taking that number two spot pretty damn soon here. And uh, I, I think even with those games where they have a, a huge long list of people that have posted times and, you know, they were they were corroborated and and, uh, and then put in the list, I, you know, it's only a matter of time before you post one that's maybe at the bottom of the list and then your next one is going to be further up, you know. 
But fair enough. So. Now I feel like on our first episode, we were able we were able to bully our guest, the wonderful Ingledoon, into doing a speed run almost immediately after we finished this podcast. <laughs> Can we do that to you too? too? <laughs> and and not only that, Probably. not only that. Angledoom, uh, I think, was talking about at the time the first Deathless run on mm-hmm. uh, that game, and that yep. he, that he was aiming for that. Uh, that was the next goal he had in mind was a Deathless one credit run on Black Tiger, and sure enough, that night he hit it, and uh, and we well, discussed that. that. But yeah, that uh, you know, so Tuba, all the pressure is on you now. To to go do a speed run of Banjo Kazooie, <laughs> and and you better get it done pronto. Yep. Noted. <laughs> uh, so we are kind of we are kind of a little bit away from Banjo Kazooie. Um, there was a question uh, in the audience a little while ago. I think that might help draw us a little bit back to Banjo Kazooie. Um, so short and sweet asks. What's your first memory of playing this game, and do you remember your overall initial impressions? Uh, first memory of this game, uh, I think it would probably be um, kind of getting through uh, uh, Click Clock Woods for the very first time. Uh, anyone who's played through the game knows how it's uh, how difficult that world is, and in order to get all of the uh, the stuff on it, was definitely a, a tough one to do. Um, all of my earlier memories are uh, very, very blurry. Because <laughs> I, I was playing this one when I was uh, quite, quite young. Um, well, as for it was my 23 years ago, so. How old were yeah. you when you first played it? Um, I think I was probably about nine, nine or ten. And you're 55 now? <laughs> <laughs> And then for my favorite, I think it would be the very first time I beat uh, Grunty. Uh, the final battle is definitely uh, a challenging one for someone who uh, doesn't have a lot of uh, gaming experience before this. Um, we rented the, the nest and stuff, but it really doesn't prepare you for the 3D type of uh, battles. Uh, I think I answered it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks to Short and Sweet 8402 for that question. Yeah, and if anybody else has any uh, questions, please uh, go ahead and post them in chat. Um, I don't think that uh, Tuba is going to be able to, like, you know, reveal his credit card numbers or his address or anything <laughs> like that. But, you know, any any question that's kind of semi-related to the game, you know, that's legitimate and we'll, we'll ask it. And... Uh, and hopefully get a good answer for you. But yeah, um, if you're just listening to this on the audio version of the podcast, uh, we always like to encourage you to stop by uh, the Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash EBC2021, and that way you can see the the live version of the podcast where we actually record it, and you can see the gameplay uh, of our guest. And uh, we we do them about every two weeks. Uh, Sometimes that schedule gets a little screwed up uh, because of... You know, in real life, things that we we got going on, uh, all of us, and scheduling and whatever else goes on. 
Um, like I said, we wanted to try to do the this episode two weeks ago and uh, just ended up having too much going on to, to make it happen. So, uh, And as I, I stated before, that I wanted to try with the schedule to get about 14 episodes in for the first season all the way through the end of May. Uh, that still looks about right, uh, uh, pretty decent. Uh, we'll see where it goes from there, um, but yeah, we definitely will have quite a few more at least in, in the first season, and and then uh, as long as everything goes according to plan, we'll be you know up and running for season two in the fall. Um, but yeah, you know, just want to encourage you to stop by the channel and watch the live broadcast. They're they're always a hoot to you know actually see the gameplay and interact with uh, the people we have here. Uh, so once again, that's uh, twitch.tv slash ebc2021, and um, I also direct you to the website, which is www.ebc2021.com, where I have the full schedule posted, and you can see what's coming up on our channel, um, including other special events that are going on in relation to our channel, some of the other streamers that we uh, work with or in the community, you know, they've got special events coming up like uh, our last uh, guest, Rageful Riot OG. He just hit not too long ago 666 followers on Twitch, and so he's going to be doing a 12 hour horror stream on his channel on uh, February 5th. So, you know, wanted to mention that, and, and I put his event on our schedule. And, uh, of course, all the other EBC information is there. Um, so, so check that out when you get a chance. And uh, otherwise, we'll still be doing, you know, the audio version of the podcast here about every two weeks through the end of May. And, uh, and we'll see what we can come up with for you. Uh, I've, I've got quite a few guests lined up. And, and we're also going to be exploring a little bit different format uh, with some of the guests coming up. It's going to be pretty much about the same. Uh, but uh, you definitely want to stay tuned because we've got some things in the works with the, the podcast and the EBC channel that you're you're really going to want to check out if you've enjoyed it thus far. Um, so that's pretty much it. Uh, we, we've got uh, the or we're coming up here to the end of the first part of the playthrough. So what I'd like to do now is we're going to take a short commercial break and we'll come back for the second part of the playthrough. And, uh, and then we'll be discussing a little bit more of, like, the memories surrounding the game uh, that Tuba has. And, and, like, some of the things he said he was nine about when uh, it came out and he was playing it for the first time. So we will uh, definitely be exploring a little bit more of, like, how the game had an impact on him during his childhood and, and on into adulthood. Um, so stay tuned. We'll be back in just a short little bit. All right. Oops, hold on. I got to fix that. That's that's yeah, better. There we go. Okay. Uh, so welcome back to the second part of the playthrough. Tuba Swan presenting Banjo-Kazooie on the N64. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm seeing a lot of similarities in, in like, the world setup uh, with some of the other N64 games, the, uh, Mario 64 and the, uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, um, 
and then obviously other things that are, are very, very different. Uh, one thing that I, I had forgot to ask you about in the first part is it seemed like, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you being a very uh, musical person yourself, you know, you play the tuba, you play a couple other different instruments, and you've had a, a, a robust musical background in your childhood. Um, did, did those elements of this, the, the music part uh, parts of the game, uh, appeal to you in any specific way? So, interestingly enough, um, my family, actually, uh, before me and my brother, there was no, no interest in music whatsoever. Uh, so, when I started playing this as a kid, I thought the musical elements were kind of fun. But... Um, this was before I was even considering being a tuba player. I didn't start playing tuba until like four or five years later. And uh, I only started playing tuba on a whim because uh, I joined the class because, hey, why not? <laughs> and, well, and then you turned out to be pretty damn good at it, you know. It's, yeah, it's stuck with you. Enjoy, yeah, definitely really enjoy uh, playing the instruments. Obviously have to be if you're playing it for 15 plus years. But... Uh, uh, whenever I replay this game, I definitely appreciate all the extra musical elements into it. Um, like if you listen to any of the music when you're uh, during this uh, uh, Grunty's Lair, it's actually a modified rendition of uh, the Teddy Bear Picnic, but uh, with different instruments and different uh, kind of moods mm -hmm. into it whenever you're uh, wandering around the lair. Hmm. Well, and I've seen that too in quite a few... Uh, of the Nintendo games, especially the um, uh, where they would take a, a, a common theme and change it up and, and you know put a different spin on it to be able to create a different atmosphere, a different mood. Um, and and even looking back, I think at some of like the music for like Castlevania 2 or um, you know some of the other older NES and SNES games that it was it was quite a bit of, uh, thought put into that, I think, and, and it impacted quite a few people as, as far as, like, you know, the, the the music was a big part of their childhood, so they they constantly go back to it or find different ways. I, I was absolutely thoroughly impressed with, um, like, we were watching some of the Castlevania II speedruns uh, for a randomizer tournament, and, and the channel that was hosting that uh, was playing in the background some like uh, orchestral and rock remixes of the music, and it was just absolutely fantastic to hear those themes like that in in a more modern setting outside of like sixteen bit music. Yeah, it's definitely uh, very interesting to have. Um, uh, yeah, I always love listening to the music in this game. Uh, always flashes back a whole bunch of memories every time I do it. And um, on, on that same note, like uh, our next guest on Arcade is going to be uh, my brother, Star Road Game Cafe, and he's going to be presenting Final Fantasy VII. But like one of his favorite games as a kid, and, and he played quite a bit, was Ocarina of Time. And I, I know for a certainty, and I'm sure we'll get into this next episode, uh, uh, a lot of the music that, that he had you know heard during that game, playing that, and... Uh, and on into adulthood uh, definitely impacted like some of the things that he was doing musically himself or you know some of the music that he was into and 
and the same thing. I mean, you know, Nintendo came up with some fantastic uh, music themes for that sort of thing. So I'm not surprised um, that it had that kind of effect on you. Do you do you remember anything specifically, or like any any type of imagery, uh, or or things in your memory that that pop up like when you hear some of these themes? Uh, I think the biggest one actually for me is actually the uh, opening theme for specifically this game. Um, uh, I forgot to uh, kind of play it when I uh, did the recording of this. But uh, it literally just goes through um, banjo playing a banjo and Kazooie playing on a kazoo. Mm -hmm. And they just run around. Uh, then Mumbo jumps in and goes through an assortment of different instruments. It actually is what got me interested in playing multiple different instruments. Cool. And and what is your uh, repertoire there? You told me this previously, but like uh, besides the tuba, what else do you play? Uh, I mostly play a bunch of brass instruments. Uh, so I play the tuba, the euphonium. Uh, I played trombone when I was in the jazz band. Um, I've also played a little bit of French horn when we needed some parts covered. And uh, I've dabbled in trumpet. Uh, that's, yeah, it's still sitting up there on, over my shoulder. <laughs> uh, but uh, And then uh, beyond, outside of the brass, I have touched on electric bass and guitar. But those were mostly uh, personal stuff, uh, but never really went anywhere with it. You know what? Um, yeah, we didn't talk about this. I'm going to put you on the spot. We didn't talk about <laughs> this before, uh, but on your channel, you actually have a channel redemption where uh, someone in the chat can request that you play tuba live on stream. Do you happen to have anything ready to go and you could... Uh, uh, give us a little sampling of what you do on your own stream with that uh, if you'd like me to sure absolutely <laughs> let me let me pause our playback here so we got some nice quiet and... yeah it's sitting here why not uh do you is there something do you guys want to hear something quick or short piece or a longer piece whatever you want to do in fact i'm gonna i'm gonna let's do this here let's uh hold on let me move him up in that <laughs> and we're gonna let's give him some good no, full I, screen here. I have a couple things open on my tablet here. I have Crab Rave or the Pokemon theme. Whatever you like, man. Whatever, whatever fits your fancy. It's your it's your stream, man. You know. <laughs> um, sure. I'll I'll do the Crab Rave. I know a lot of people see, really like that one. Crab Rave, Crab Rave, Crab Rave. <laughs> All right. There we go. That one, that one came through? Yeah, perfect. Thank you perfect. so much. I appreciate you. I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot like that, but yeah, that... He, that, he totally did. That that is. He told me. He told me beforehand he was going to do it. Perfect. <laughs> that that is a regular occurrence on the tuba live stream. So you definitely want to check out our guest because um, you know he does that, and you can you can even maybe make some requests and whatever else with that. But uh, yeah, he he uh, regularly wows his audience with his tuba playing, and uh, you can of course check him out at. Uh, 
twitch.tv slash tuba swan, exactly like it sounds. Um, mostly because uh, that is his real name. Tuba Swan, it shows up on his birth certificate as such, uh, and so he just created a channel surrounding that. Uh, so, uh, Mr. Swan, thank you so much for sharing your tuba with us. I, I really appreciate that. That's always a pleasure to play uh, play songs on it. But yeah, the uh, the musical elements of these games, I think, really have impacted a lot of different people. I mean, I even like um, you know watching some other streams where people are playing these games and talking about the the musical impact it had on them. It's it's such a huge part of people's childhood. Um, <laughs> we we have a request in our live chat. Uh, somebody would like Tuba to play Freebird, and I don't think we have 47 minutes for that whole thing. Um, but yeah. <laughs> uh, love it. You, 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 you need to buy Tuba at least a couple of alcoholic beverages before we, uh, we get to that point, I think. Anyway, uh, yeah, we, we like to have fun here. But, uh, yeah, if, uh, if anybody else has any questions, uh, please go ahead and put them in our live chat. We uh, will definitely ask our uh, guest about that. Um, we we kind of touched on it a little bit before, but one of the questions that I, I have come to love asking our guests is, are there any other elements aside besides, you know, like you talked about the, uh, the main theme song, you know, the opening uh, screen to the game, uh, are there any other elements that you come across it in the game uh, and it instantly triggers a memory for you? And it always does like maybe the same memory or something very similar. Do you have anything like that? Any elements of the game and a memory where that triggers? Um, I guess it would have to be all of Grunty's rhymes. Um, as you're traversing through the world and stuff, you'll have randomly have her pop up and start saying some rhymes to you. Um, me and my brother used to actively seek out all of the different types of rhymes that we could find. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we would just have a hoot. Uh, honestly, I think this game kind of developed where my uh, humor is today. <laughs> so I love all the different puns and the different rhymes that, uh, that you find in this. Oh, yes. And Tuba is definitely the king of dad jokes in our community. Aside from <laughs> one other streamer that we have who's actually named king of dad joke, uh, but, uh, yeah, we've got a couple and, uh, you're, you're definitely up there as, uh, like the man to go for, uh, eye rolling, groaning jokes <laughs> that just kind of leave you going, oh my God. Honestly, the bigger the groan, the better the pun. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, really, you definitely want to check out uh, Tuba Streams. He does uh, regularly games like this, Banjo-Kazooie, Mario 64. Uh, what else do you regularly have in your repertoire, Tuba? Uh, I know I definitely changed up a lot. Uh, lately, I've been playing some more of the modern games. Um, I know, uh, uh, like Horizon Zero Dawn's going to have a, uh, sequel later on coming up. So I have been playing the, uh, the original to kind of refresh the story. And then the new Pokemon game that came out. Mm -hmm. uh, what is that, Arceus? But, uh, Gen 
yeah, the Legends of Arceus. I've been quite happy with how the, the game is. Uh, I was a little skeptical at first with, about some elements, but overall I'm quite happy. Now that just literally came out a couple of days ago. I have yet to uh, uh, get a chance to watch some of the, our community members playing that, uh, but uh, it, it apparently is getting rave reviews. Uh, yeah, it came yeah, out on uh, Friday, and um, Tuba, you were you were like in a you guys weren't playing together because the game is not multiplayer, but like you were in a Discord chat with uh, the Joho and uh, Mister Wrong for a few hours, like as you guys were playing through the game, right? Yeah, that that was a lot of fun. Um, we were all kind of uh, roughly in the same spot at the time, and. Uh, uh, definitely everyone was getting hyped up in the chat and stuff. And um, then uh, we hit a point where uh, we were all kind of having a bit of fun. And uh, it was it was interesting kind of seeing everyone experience the same things and hearing the different reactions from everyone at the same time. Hmm. But overall, it seems like just about everybody's really enjoying that. Yeah, obviously there is some complaints towards it. Um, obviously the graphic one is the biggest one, but uh, overall the, it's really well done. Now, now that also just came out um, not too long after Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, right? I mean, that, that's only, what, two months old? Yeah, so uh, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl uh, weren't actually... Uh, plan to be released at uh, the exact same time but they were making this game and uh, the remakes of uh, diamond and pearl have been highly requested mm -hmm. uh for quite quite some time so nintendo kind of uh sorry uh, game freak kind of slammed it out in order to release kind of both in sequence because uh the legends of arceus is actually supposed to be a uh, pre-game to um the gen 4 remakes okay so uh, it, yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I just found, uh, to me, I found the timing kind of odd, the way they were releasing those, but uh, that, that makes sense. Um, so, so getting back to Banjo-Kazooie, uh, what specifically uh, that maybe you haven't mentioned thus far in, in our podcast here is the appeal of this game for you like what what draws you back to this now that you're an adult and it still holds that that uh not on maybe not only a nostalgia factor but just the the entertainment and enjoyment factor why why do you keep heading back to it uh it's it's hard to say specifically what it is that keeps drawing me back in uh but uh i i love how um uh, much thought and process that Rare put into this game. You have all of the very unique characters that you get to experience, like uh, Clanker here on screen, for example. Um, he's just a, a, uh, a whale shark that is used as a garbage disposal. I mean, that, naturally, so that's how you use a whale shark, right? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and then, uh, even, even though the game... Uh, it, the control sequence for 3D games was still in development at the time. Uh, in my opinion, uh, they kind of started to get everything kind of figured out by the time uh, Banjo-Kazooie kind of came out. So it's uh, very enjoyable for me as playing a mo modern games and playing these retro games and still getting very similar uh, gameplay feel. 
And uh, the story, I just love re-experiencing each time as well and seeing uh, the different ways to uh, kind of get through the game. I guess that kind of more leads back into the speedrun aspect again. Well, and, and you have completed this, yes? Yes, I have uh, done quite a few full, full completions of this game. Okay. And not just in any percent, a 100 percenter? Have you, have you had a chance to do that where you literally do everything? Yes. Um, actually, um, just last year, um, I did uh, 100% runs of both Banjo-Kazooie and its sequel, Banjo-Tooie. Okay. Um, Banjo-Tooie is definitely much more difficult to do the 100% on, uh, but it was very still satisfying to do it on both. And uh, you said you were looking at about eight hours for an any percent or a 100% on this? Uh, on this one, uh, I don't remember what my exact time is. It's it's uh, the eight hours is for uh, Super Mario sixty four. Oh, that's uh, yeah. Um, I I have not yet timed myself on this one. Um, I would be interested in maybe doing it in the near future to kind of see where I'm sitting. Yeah, um, even just for fun, you know, to have a a baseline for where you want to go from that. Uh, you know, maybe setting up some some new goals to reach for as you as you continue not only just necessarily a a time but you know uh maybe uh, a style of gameplay um like i i don't mean to you know keep bringing the attention back to myself but like castlevania 2 i've been doing recently um and i find that uh the the different ways in which you can complete the game gives you totally different gameplay styles you know feels to it and what you're actually going for um and 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 that definitely matters i think to like the speedrun aspect of it how you want to complete the game and not only exploiting glitches and things like that but but the strategy and methodology for actually getting to the end in a certain amount of time you know and uh definitely makes sense you, you probably know this game inside and out well enough that you could do that you know articulate a, a specific strategy to determine how best to do what you want to accomplish yeah when i did my uh recent 100 percent run of it uh it took a couple refresher port portions of some of the areas to remember where some of the items are um as as you can see in this one you can see me kind of running around trying to figure out uh, where some of the collectibles and stuff are. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I wonder uh, also along the, the same lines as, you know, some of these other things we've been talking about for speedruns, uh, if somebody eventually is going to come up with a randomizer or, uh, you know, something like that, that, that uh, hack that uh, makes the gameplay quite a bit more difficult or just totally turn some things around and uh, gives yeah, you a whole new experience. That would be very interesting to see. I don't know how a randomizer would work specifically for this game. Um, yeah, it, to... it's hard to say, but I mean, you know, generally the randomizer just takes the idea that you've got enemies in certain places and items to pick up in certain places and then it just changes all of those places <laughs> and and makes Fair it enough. so that you you know you're you're running across something in an unexpected area so maybe that ne wouldn't necessarily work for something like this if, uh, like you were talking about the um 
<clears throat> the uh, uh, abilities where you you know go through this transformation and then you can only go so far with that. Um, but maybe some of the other aspects like the items you have to collect, you know, being in, in just totally different places from where you know they're <clears throat> going to be in the game. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, hard to say if it would work for this one, but it would be interesting to see. Uh, you talk about, like, you know, different ways to to play and different experiences and stuff, too. Just out of curiosity, while you guys were talking there, I took the... I like looking things up. I do it all the time. <laughs> um, there's actually, on a website that I go to, there actually is a uh, ROM hack for Banjo-Kazooie. It's called The Legend of Banjo-Kazooie, The Jiggies of Time. Uh, Cross it with Zelda? <laughs> kinda. Yeah, you, yeah. Uh, literally took, uh, basically put Banjo-Kazooie in the world of Hyrule from Ocarina of Time. And it uses the... Uh, looks like it uses the Banjo-Kazooie game as the base still, but just changes the world around to be more... Uh, more akin to uh, Hyrule. Okay. Hmm. I would be interested in maybe checking that out at some point. Well, there you uh, go. Send, you know, send him the link, and that's what that's what he's going to do on his next stream. <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't use a whole lot of emulators, like we as we discussed before you before we started. You use a lot of original hardware. You even have the Banjo Kazooie cartridge sitting behind you there. Um, yeah. And and you did capture your game on. Uh, on the uh, N64 through OBS. Um, yes. But it'd be interesting to see you do that. Mm -hmm. uh, I wonder if there's a way to incorporate the original, like maybe controllers onto the computer. That way you can use the, uh, the hardware. Um, um, there are adapters, I think, to change them to USBs. Yeah, I don't know. Oh. I, I wouldn't know about uh, like a specific... Uh, uh, adapter for that, but uh, like my brother had gotten a a USB N64 controller, and it just plugs in, oh, okay, you know, to the USB port like normal. And then um, we were trying to do some other stuff with uh, taking like an Xbox or Xbox 360 controller and uh, using it for certain games, like. Uh, the one specifically I was looking at was Fall Guys on Steam and uh, and how to make that work with a controller, you know, any controller on Steam, really. And, um, you know, we uh, pretty much all you have to do is get a, a mapper program that assigns the, the hotkeys to the controller buttons and then, you know set it up. But uh, yeah, talk to my brother about that because he's he's got all the knowledge on uh, the controllers that are available for that sort of thing. Like we also recently set up my mom, who, uh, you know, she she's not a, a gamer by any means, but back in the day she was uh, she was big into uh, original NES Tetris, and uh, we set her okay. up, set her up with a, a used console, and uh, because of. Um, uh, mobility issues we we set her up with an uh, what's called 8-bit do is the company that makes wireless uh, NES controllers so it plugs right into the front of the console and then you actually have a wireless con uh, controller that has a you know a battery pack in it and you plug in the charge 
and then you can be however far away uh, and it doesn't rely on a cord. But uh, yeah, he, okay. he's he's got a lot of information. Uh, yeah, we can probably even dive into some of that in in, in the next episode when he's our guest on uh, what's available uh, in, in those departments for controllers to work with emulators or you know the wireless stuff to to plug into actual consoles. Um, and he's got a lot of information available uh, uh, on that, so we could probably dive into that next time. Sweet. Yeah, it sounds like it would be a lot of fun. Now, now, what do you use to uh, capture uh, if you're if you're doing mostly consoles as opposed to emulators? What are what are your primary methods for capture to uh, not only not only be able to play on your computer, but also then stream that content to Twitch? Uh, so, for any of the modern consoles, of course, you could just use a um, a generic um, HDMI. Um, capture cards. I personally use the Elgato HD60, but when it comes to the older consoles, um, I actually use um, a, a USB device. It's actually a Roxio VHS converter. Roxio. I've got something that's almost uh, uh, very similar to that with the composite uh, inputs that was made by Hapa. And I uh, had gotten that not for gaming, but because I wanted to record live cable TV onto my computer. Um, and it worked for that exact same purpose, just running the TV signal through the composite and then through a live recorder on the, on the computer. Uh, and it turns out, yeah, that's, that's the best way, as far as I could see, to do some of this older console gaming uh, to capture because it, it was all based on, on composite uh, video inputs. Yeah, it was, it's also very nice. This thing there actually has, there's almost no delay. It's as if I, as if I was actually playing on the computer. Uh, sorry, on the TV. Um, uh, originally, I had actually bought this thing for a uh, converting some of our old VHSs into mm -hmm. uh, digital files. Right. Uh, just kind of capture old family videos where the tapes were starting to wear out. And then uh, I jokingly tried it, and uh, I was able to configure the settings enough that it actually registered through... Uh, uh, OBS. So then, yeah, rest is history. There you go. <laughs> and and how much did that Roxio unit cost you, if you recall? Uh, five five dollars at a uh, um, garage sale. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that works, man. Yeah. Oh, you found one that you put it in the chat cage. Uh, yeah, USB yeah, to that N64. was sixty-four. Uh... Yeah, I was just curious, and yeah, there are definitely N64 controllers that are straight USB. Like, for me, uh, it's not N64, but I mean, I, I have a SNES controller that's straight USB. Um, so there are N64 ones, or if you want to play with, like, the legit, like, real thing, that adapter uh, actually allows you to plug up to two N64 controllers into it. Um, even offers uh, making the functions turbo. Um, cool. Can you describe that to me, Cage? Because I, I vaguely remember that, but I don't remember what it refers to. Making a turbo. Oh, uh... Hey, pipe down over there. Um, <laughs> so, basically, any button you press that's a action button, not your... not your, uh... movement button. Any button you press would just automatically become 
like you're sitting there and going like like tapping it. Oh, okay. Rapid fire. Yeah. That'd be terrible if we were trying to jump. Yeah, it's it's not. That's the thing with. Uh, See, and I probably wouldn't use that function on that particular adapter because the way it looks, it, it's not... And you might be able to program it differently, but the way it looks, it's it's just you press the button and it turns turbo on and it automatically goes. Like, typically speaking, for most turbo controllers uh, that have ever been a thing, they had individual button controls for turbo. And most people, when they're using them, would turn it on, like, the B button. Because the B button is going to be your primary attacking uh, or action button in that respect, that's what you would want to use it for. Not the A button, which would be like your jumping button and your guy sitting there going boing, 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 boing over, all over the map and yeah. not really doing anything for you. Right. And that actually takes me back now uh, to something that is maybe semi-related and that is the Game Genie. Um... Like, that was coup de gras right there, to be able to rent a Game Genie from the video store just to play, like, Super Mario Brothers <laughs> with those uh, those added cheats. Uh, that, uh, that was, like, you know, the time of my life whenever we could do that. Uh, Game Genie. Oh, Game Genie. And uh, Game Genie lasted, let's see... Right around, so the NES, Super NES, like Sega Genesis, N64, they all had Game Genie. But Game Genie never came out with anything, uh, to my knowledge, for like the PlayStation. Once things became disc-based, yeah. they never they never released anything uh, for disc-based. I, I think at the time, because Game Genie was done by Galoob, the same people who do uh, or did the Micro Machines, I think they had gone under. Um, so, Interact, I think... They came out with something called the game Shark. And that was available for the PlayStation N64, PlayStation 2, Dreamcast. Um, and like with the Game Genie, you could enter in like two to five codes. And some of the cheats required multiple codes. Mm -hmm. um, so you were kind of limited on what you could do as far as the cheat device with the Game Genie. Um, but when they changed to the game Shark, you could have a hundred codes all active at the same time. Like, and that's actually the same system that most emulators uh, use. Whether they're using a Game Genie or Game Shark code is inconsequential, but you can have a ton of them active at the same time. Yeah, that's definitely what I'm going to have to look into now. Uh, or at least at some point in the near future is, uh, you know, running these emulators with some of those Game Genie codes just to... <laughs> just for giggles. Yeah, just to, for shits and giggles to you know, relive some of that, uh, you know, we're not even going to attempt to try to beat this game in the normal manner and actually have any skill at it. We're just going to cheat our way through <laughs> and have, you know, shit ton of fun with doing it. Yes, me and Scotty have no skill in games, unlike people like Tuba, who's sitting here whooping on some Banjo-Kazooie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that rate, that run that we just witnessed there is actually something that kills a lot of speedruns. 
because uh, it is very easy to fall off in the last two sections of it. It looked like it, yeah. Um, especially when you have to keep um, having the camera go, and in order to make the time, you need to be using Kazooie, so you lose access to the camera, so you have to let go of it while at the same time trying to angle it. Uh, I lost it. <laughs> but yeah, it um, speed runs over. <laughs> yeah, that that um, like a, the other. There's a couple portions that really kill a lot of speed runs from what I've watched on YouTube and stuff. The other big one that gets a lot of people is the ship in Rusty Bucket Bay. You can definitely tell the that the the team who made who took part in making Donkey Kong Country worked on this. Just like the 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 naming, you know, the <laughs> naming is there. Yeah, it's very true, uh, especially with uh, all of the uh, the different uh, mob names and stuff. It's always uh, usually very rhyme rhyming based. Uh, like uh, Grunty's real full name is Gruntilda. And she has a si sister called Brentilda. Uh, that was that. Uh, her name to Brenty? <laughs> uh, I, you probably could, but uh, I don't think many people uh, go that route. <laughs> okay. Fair uh, I can't remember a lot of the uh, the enemy names off the top of my head, um, but uh, the, most of them follow the uh, traditional rare system. All right, well, we've got about uh, less than 10 minutes now left in our, our second part of the playthrough. So last chance for anybody, if you want to post any questions for our guest, Tubaswan, in the live chat, please do so now and we will ask them. Um, as we're coming up to the end of this, is there any other kinds of like uh, memories that stand out for you in regards to this game? Anything we haven't covered thus far? Um Especially, like, maybe as it relates... Uh, you talked a little bit about, like, your family and how it was you and your brother um, that, that uh, primarily played this. Any other kind of interactions with, like, your family, your cousins, uh, or, or friends at school uh, surrounding this game or, or any other, anything else of that nature? You know, those types of memories that, that you really uh, cherish because of the, this game. Um... Most of my memories associated with this game are more family-based than friend-based. Uh, whenever I played with friends and stuff, we always played multiplayer games. Um, but uh, I know a lot of this stuff, uh, a lot of this game and uh, probably Legend of Zelda 2 uh, definitely helped me and my brother work our ways into the, the music that we enjoy. Um like uh like stuff like this where it was the trying to remember the pattern for the different notes and stuff we'd always write it down and then we'd uh maybe eventually try to figure it out on uh the piano we had in the house <laughs> yeah i remember my brother doing the same thing with ocarina of time and maybe some of those other games he would you know listen to it and then try to recreate it on the piano yeah that was uh always one of the fun things we like to do uh on the ocarina like on the Legend of, uh, our Legend of Zelda, we'd try and create songs that we actually knew in real life. <laughs> uh, 
those are the kind of those are mostly the big memories that are kind of related to this one. And and uh, aside from that, how big of an influence would you say it had on your musical career? Uh, I'd say it had a decently big influence on it, because uh, uh, this uh, kind of um, in my mind it made music normal. Like you don't see this kind of interaction with music in uh, in the real world as much, but uh, seeing um, most of the world kind of around music, music notes. There's a singing class that you interact with. They kind of made like, uh, hey, you should get into music because music is the normal thing for the world. Um, I don't know what kind of forced me to go over to the uh, the tuba itself, but uh, it, it definitely did have an impact on it. Aside from happenstance. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like, sounds like you were like, why not? You know. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> it, it's because it's he was after the chicks. Chicks dig the tuba. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that is that why I never had the chicks? I was doing the piano, and you, apparently you can't, you know, like, take the piano easily with you out onto the football field, you know. <laughs> right. Not with that attitude. <laughs> that's, why you need a, that's why you need a guitar. <laughs> Uh, so, question from the chat again from Short and Sweet. Do you have a favorite level to play? And if so, can you tell us about why it is your favorite level? Uh, that would be Click Clock Woods. That one is definitely my favorite level. Uh, it's uh, one that uh, has very unique music, and you actually experience the same level in the four different seasons. And I always loved that part about it. Uh, walking into the level, you start to uh, take care of an egg, and the egg hatches into a, an eagle. And every single season, you have to do uh, kind of like a collection challenge, collecting little cat caterpillars to help it grow. Cool. Yeah, so I, I, I really enjoyed seeing a lot of the elements here, the, not only the similarities, but the differences with uh, some of the other N64 games we've looked at previously, uh, and I'm sure we'll look at more eventually here too. Um, but yeah, the Nintendo again, showing off the graphics and the 3D world technology that, that was brand new at the time in the late 90s. And, um, you know, whole new generations of people that, that were really having fun with learning this new gameplay experience. So. Alright, well, I think that just about does it for us. Um, so, once again, uh, this is the Arcade Nostalgia Memories podcast, and I am your host, uh, EBC Scotty. Uh, my co-host is Legion Cage, Rob, and... Uh, we want to thank you for uh, joining us here, even if it's just on the audio version of the podcast, which, uh, of course, is available wherever podcasts are found. Um, if you have, uh, you know, been following us, downloading the uh, uh, episodes uh, on your, whatever program you're you're getting your podcast from, uh, we do want to encourage you to stop by the Twitch channel and not only check out the live recordings of the podcast that happen about once every two weeks, but 
some of the other content that we do here, I'll just direct you again to the uh, website, which is www.ebc2021.com, where we have uh, you know the full schedule listed and uh, any other way that uh, you would interact with us there uh, on the website. And, uh, and of course, we do have our new Patreon that is up and running. And uh, if you wanted to become a supporter of the EBC channel, you can do so through that. We have uh, uh, our bottom tier level is uh, $2 a month. And that gives you uh, complete access to our entire video on demand archive. Um, and then it goes up from there, including the $10 level where you can uh, become a sponsor for a month. Uh, we reach out to you and then we say, okay, um, you know, how, we're going to rename our, our virtual theater for a month after whatever you want to do. Um, this, this month we're ending up here was for Watch Whitney and she, you know, wanted to have it the, uh, the Watch Whitney Wounded Warrior Project Theater. We are changing signs for the next one. Um, and actually, before then, um, <clears throat> we're going to be drawing attention to our next sponsor uh, for a program that's coming up. And I want to mention here that is our next audio drama from Enigma Blockbuster Cinema Productions. And that is called The Threat of They. It's going to be premiering on our Twitch channel, EBC uh, 2021. Uh, on Sunday, February 6th. So if you're listening to the audio version, which I'm... I'm it probably going to have uploaded to the RSS feed here early this coming week. Uh, probably by like Tuesday or Wednesday is when it's going to drop on the RSS feed. So it's this coming Sunday, February 6th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Threat of Day, and that's at twitch.tv slash ebc2021. I really hope you can uh, stop by to uh, take a gander at that. Uh, we're, we're very proud of the audio dramas that we have come up with. This is actually the third one in the series. Um, and, they, and they cover many different topics, and they're loads of fun to put together. So um, we would appreciate you stopping by to check that out. Again, that is Sunday, February 6th, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time twitch.tv slash ebc2021 and uh, the other thing i'll mention before we go is our next guest that's going to be star road game cafe and we're, he's going to be presenting final fantasy 7 uh, on our next episode of arcade that's going to be in about two weeks uh, we're going to be doing the live recording of that uh, show on february 13th which is also a sunday uh, that's the next Sunday after uh, the Threat of They premieres, and uh, that should be, I think, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, but just go on to our website uh, there and look at the schedule uh, because we, you know, at least uh, a week out, it's going to be firm on there exactly when we're doing that. And uh, you can also check out and see when some of the other uh, recordings of the, the live broadcast are uh, for when we do the podcast. So, uh, once again, my name is Scotty. I thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, Arcade Nostalgia Memories Podcast. This is episode six, featuring our special guest, Tuba Swan, uh, presenting his game, Banjo-Kazooie. We'll see you next time on uh, EBC uh, for episode seven. Uh, and that'll be, again, in about two weeks. Thank you for joining us, and good night.